You're listening to Highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Mary Edna Fraser and Oren Pilkey, who collaborate to bring to life batik art interpretations of the environment supplemented by earth science. Well, when I first met Mary Edna, she was doing some beautiful painting. And I thought, you know, some of that could be focused or we could even just look at the painting available and look at it differently and point out some of the science and some of the environmental problems, especially with barrier islands. Why are we building all these houses right next to the beach, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's what we started to. And coming out in art, it's a whole new group of people who are looking at the problem that probably wouldn't be looking at the problem. For me, whenever I got this show at the Air and Space Museum, in 1994 and 95, uh, Aerial Inspirations. They have the largest audience in the world of any museum. And I wanted the art to be more than just something pretty. And so I asked them if we could go to Oren and put his science as text on the walls. And that began our journey together in 1993, when we were on a boat going to Cape Lookout National Seashore. And we realized we were equally passionate about barrier islands and decided to write a book. And all this that she's referring to is in the context of a rapidly rising sea level and increasing intensity of storms. And between the sea level rise and, and the storms, and barrier islands, of course, are the barriers that prevent the, the mainland from getting some of the main waves, we are going to see vast changes in these islands. And we're going to see a lot of problems with people uh, living on the islands. I mean, like, how do you escape the island during a storm when you have overwashed sand and, and water going over? So what she's doing, what we're doing, we hope is very important for the long-range future. Well, the first thing you do, you've got an erosion problem and some buildings are threatened, so you build a seawall. And it took a while, and I guess we really learned from New Jersey that you build a seawall, yes, you might protect the houses for a while, but it destroys the beach. And that was a very important observation, and we got to do something, don't we? And of course, one of the things we argue is that that something might be moving buildings and might be, in some cases, getting off, off the island, moving to the mainland. And, I think this November 7th storm is, was a really big event in that a minor storm made the people on the island unable to escape, un, unable to move. Now, they didn't need to in this storm because it was a minor storm, but it, it showed us how very mobile and how very active these islands are. And we even know as Marietta knows that, we, that these islands migrate. As the sea level rises, the islands are migrating landward. They're capable of, of not being drowned by the sea level. Pretty, pretty interesting. Not they move like, like the tanks. That's how they move, and they're supposed to be allowed to move. 
That's their nature, their innate nature. And when human beings don't allow the treads of the tank of sand to move, then we are clogging Mother Nature's uh, wishes, really. Things are changing, but we're spending billions of dollars pumping sand, what we call nourishing beaches. In North and South Carolina, they usually cost more than a million dollars a mile, and, and the average beach lifespan, artificial beach, is about three years, something like that, three to four years. So um, we've got to stand back and look at this, and we hope we're adding a little step in that direction. Oren and I argue a lot, and he gives me scientific papers to read. I already had a bank of batiks that I had in my collection, but then he would tell me what he needs, and he would give me the scientific papers. We'd sit and look and look and look until we could find something that could express what he wanted to be illustrated, but what I thought would be incredibly beautiful to the viewer. I think we have a, a unique relationship built out of respect and um, interest. For instance, I, I didn't know, well, I didn't know diddly squat really, like the Icelandic volcanic islands, they have black sand. And then the Nile Delta, which I learned was the breadbasket of the world, is one of the most threatened areas for water on our planet. And so I wanted it to look like a flower. So sometimes I will get an idea, like for the North Carolina coast looks like a storm passing over a woman's breast, because it looks like that from a, a cartographic point of view. And it's very pretty, but it's also tantalizing at the same time. The mouths of the Mekong Delta looks like a, uh, a skeleton. And that was because of all the places that are still alive with bombs that people are stepping on in that area. So it, many times it would be what you read and study that would uh, push the art in another direction. Yeah, and each of those differences, all of those differences are because of natural processes that I mentioned earlier, the amount of sand, the size of the waves, and so forth and so on. And in, in Iceland, the, um, those, are, those are perhaps the only island, big chain of islands that are actually moving seaward at the moment because they're getting so much so much uh, volcanic uh, sand that is being produced by the volcanoes, which are inside of the shoreline. And it's just pushing, it's just pushing the island out. Of course, sea level will sooner or later take care of that, and it'll start pushing, pushing back. But I mean, it's, each of those islands has different characters. In Egypt, the sediment that used to go down to the Nile Delta was stopped by the Aswam Dam. It's all piled up behind the dam, and now, now the Nile Delta is not getting any sand, not not much sand, because of that dam. And there's a lot of evidence of, of the role of humans now in in controlling 
what the islands are doing, but they still remain very, very dynamic features in the Earth's surface. <clears throat> I've traveled all over the world looking at barrier islands, and I find every new country I go to, there's something startling in terms of barrier islands. It's something that blows away some of my uh, and other people's uh, assumptions about barrier islands. You see new things, and it's so exciting. And that and that book that we that we wrote put so much of that together and and if you can go through the whole book it's pretty thick. You, I think you might see some of the feeling that I have the excitement of the difference between Iceland and the Outer Banks and and the Outer Banks and uh, Singapore and so forth. It's very exciting. Travel is critical. I have learned, I, I, I believe in the scientific method and, and how scientists work. That is, we are critical. We're always critical. I, I think that's, for example, I think a science education is good for students because it makes them critical. You're asked, you're, you, you keep criticizing. And, but it's not, it's not criticizing in a negative way. You're criticizing in, in a way of um, let's move forward or let's or, or you're trying to get a better explanation you want to change it a little bit and I, I I see more acceptance by the way of criticism now than there used to be uh, it used to be more personal and uh, if you got severely criticized that that was an insult but I think I think scientists are taking this better I think scientists in some ways are better now, and not necessarily in a technical sense, but in a personal way, in the way they accept or uh, a criticism, in the way they give criticism. That's, that's improved, that's gotten better. I think the scientific community as a whole is better. Thank well, you. artists and, and scientists really have a lot in common because we solve problems, we're just, a where all we do is just solve problems, question, do this, move that, change this, alter your perspective, uh, look at it upside down and backwards. And if I had not met you, Pilkey, I would have not become an environmental activist artist. And I, um, I make my work primarily local with the Charleston Waterkeeper, the South Carolina Coastal Conservation League, or the South Carolina Environmental Law Project, because I think if every individual could become more involved in their tiny little puddle of people, they could move more mountains as a group. There's a lot of power in working with your community. And my art totally changed because of you, Oren. It's things I never would have thought about or known about. My mind um, definitely expanded with the horizons that you shot me into. Oren and I have had more than 100 exhibits together. And they've been mostly in university settings. And a lot of times we'll pull in the honors colleges. So we're taking the artist and the scientist and putting them in a room together. 
And we have the Our Expanding Oceans show that was made by the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences rolled up here, ready to go, but COVID just kind of left it not traveling. But we want to have a show called Shifting East Coast Barrier Islands, which would combine our two books and bring the information that we're learning up to present day time. What we need is a, a museum of art and perhaps a partner in organization that would be interested. I hope we get to do it, Pilkey. Yeah. We still got a lot of juice in us, you know? Mother Nature always wins. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like I would like to have young people to be skeptical about the the success of engineering in fighting nature. Now that you know, of course, you can build a bridge over a stream and things like this. I mean, the engineers do wonderful things. My father was a very was a famous civil engineer, but there there is a time. And a place where engineering doesn't doesn't belong, in my view. A lot of people disagree with that. I think and, that if I were to tell children what would be important, it would be to go outside and experience nature in its rawest forms, our national parks, our national seashores, and to reflect on the intricacies of the science that is in every single thing that you see, whether it's the longitudinal slide of a long leaf pine, or whether it's the beauty of all these praying mantises and how pretty they are, or worms. Everything is interesting if you delve into it deeply enough and fascinating. As a child, my first drawings were of birds and I still love birds and looking at them and plants. And I think anytime we are closer to the earth, we can feel the struggles of other human beings as well. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.